Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second reading is from Matthew 25 verses 35 through 40, and it is a gospel, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand up. I heard um, in some churches, they like carry a Bible from the back when it's a gospel. I've heard that. I don't know if that's true, but um, <laughs> I'll just have you stand. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. The word of the Lord. Okay, so confession. So that passage that Enoch just read for us freaks me out. Enoch read all the good parts, the like, you know, you did this to the least of me, and he read the part about the sheep, but then there's this second part where, where Jesus says, uh, you know, he's talking to other people. He identifies them as goats, and he says, I was hungry, and you did not feed me. And he goes on, and he tells the goats what they didn't do, and they're like, when did we not see you? And then Jesus tells them to depart from him. And in that moment, when I first read that passage of how Jesus it, it, when it says when he's coming into his glory, when he's actually like living into his like kingly identity, that the thing that he is all about is like separating people and saying, you are the good guys and you are the bad guys, does not jive with my, you are beloved, come all unto me, weary Jesus that I so deeply love. It freaks me out. It's intense with Jesus talking about the end of time and judgment and people full on confused and perplexed. It feels apocryphal and steeped in rejection. And this makes me, a pastor who has been reading and studying and preaching the Bible for years, get really anxious. Like, is there something going on here about Jesus that I miss? Should I be second guessing my whole commitment to Jesus to begin with? Because this dude is all about separating super cute farm animals like <laughs> goats and sheep. So what is going on here? 
I had a friend who committed to studying the Bible for a whole year, and every time she came across something that freaked her out, like this passage did for me, she'd throw her Bible across the room. In fact, she came to small group at the beginning of this journey and said, this is the Bible that I'm going to be using. And it was a translation that was inclusive, and she was super excited about actually reading the Bible in this way that made sense for her and her identity and the space that she was in. And she said, I'm going to read through the Bible, and every time something freaks me out, I'm going to throw it across the room. It's totally fine now. There's no dents and dings, but I'm going to keep at it. And at the end of this year, I'm going to bring this Bible back to you and show you all of the things that tick me off about the Bible inside and on the outside with the dents and dings. And I was like, that sounds pretty dangerous and it sounds pretty stressful. And I just, I'm glad I don't live with you because I, my anxiety was super spike every time I know, oh my gosh, she's off to do her quiet time, let the banging begin. (laughs) But she did come back to us. And at the end of the year, she showed us her Bible. And she said, this is a celebration of sorts. She said, I let the word of God affect me. I let it anger me and I didn't give up. Every dent and ding is evidence that I persevered in my relationship with Jesus and now I get him a little bit more. I'm committed a little bit more. So if I were to take a book from my friend's spiritual life, this passage would be one of those that I would throw my Bible across the room. See, like I said, I just don't get it because like my one goal in life is to just live a good life in the city, and then retire in the country with my own goats and my own sheep, and I would love them equally. When I wrote Dear White Peacemakers, I wrote it on my friend's hobby farm, and the the cabin or the, the kind of a garage apartment that I was in overlooked where her goats were. And like they would come and they would bleat and, w- and wake me up and I would come out and they'd be so super excited. And I know it was because they were excited what I was bringing them to eat. It wasn't about me, but it was still great to be welcomed that way. And, and I said to my husband, that is the life that I want. I live a good life in the city, spend my 60s and on in the country. So for me, it feels like Jesus is not about that farm life vibe. And again, I'm like, what is going on? It seems to me that he has a bias, and he doesn't seem to be the Jesus that I fell in love with. But then I have to do the thing that I always have to remind myself, especially as I've gone through so many different seasons and and, and pilgrimages of deconstructing, is that I have to read the Bible within context. Like, there are two questions that I always ask myself when I come up against something in Scripture that freaks me out. The first is, what am I reading? Like, is it a psalm? Is it a story? Is it a poem? Is it a genealogy? Is it a letter to the church? Like, what exactly am I reading? Because that helps me figure out how to engage with it. The Bible is a collection of many stories telling one story, that God's desire is to have an authentic, loving relationship with us. And it comes from a variety of writers with different styles who had different experiences of them living into that one story. And so stopping and asking myself, okay, what am I reading? What is going on in this passage? How is this passage written and who is writing it? It helps me kind of be a little bit more grounded. It is not anti-goat in farm life Jesus. There's something else going on here. See, this is a parable. 
A parable is another way of thinking of of a companion. Parable is another word or an idea of coming alongside. So when I look at any of the parables of Jesus, I am not looking at it as a prescription, but a description, a story that takes a big idea and makes it accessible to me. It comes alongside me so I can understand Jesus and Jesus's ministry a little bit more. A parable is an illustrative story which makes a familiar idea, takes a familiar idea and connects it to an unfamiliar idea. So like things like mustard seed and faith. Faith is hard, but I get a mustard seed. And so when I look at this, first I have to remind myself, okay, so this isn't Jesus saying, this is, this is who I am, this is truly me, like I'm showing you my true colors, I'd be separating the, 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 uh, the animals. I'd be saying, uh, sheep, you're good, and goats, you're bad, that is the Jesus that you're actually dealing with. And I'm like, no, that's not the Jesus I want. Actually, what Jesus is saying is, this is a story to help you understand the way that I want you to live in this world. This is a story that invites you into understanding God's character as one who loves and cares for people, not somebody that rejects and ignores people. And if I look at this passage from that as a companion to help me understand Jesus, then I'm a little bit more excited. And it seems to be a little bit more like the Jesus I have fallen in love with and that I've committed to. But who is this Jesus that I've fallen in love with and committed to? Who is inviting us into this way of reading the story? Well, he is God made flesh. His whole ministry was about him loving and teaching and protecting and fellowshipping and healing and, yes, sometimes judging so that he could reveal the character of God as Father and invite us into a more beautiful way of being human. Jesus is the very embodiment of the love of God, even to death on a cross. And Jesus' resurrection shows that his way of moving through the world perseveres and persists through hardship and resists violence, death, and loss. These are all good things. So this story is a parable to help me understand that Jesus a little bit more. Now, who is Jesus talking to? So it's a parable, helps me understand Jesus. And now, Jesus, who is Jesus? But who is Jesus talking to? So that's important, too, because sometimes we read judgments in the Bible and we think that that judgment is directed towards us when maybe Jesus is talking to the arbiters of systems that are holding up oppression. But Jesus is not talking to those people right now. He's talking to his friends. In fact, he was teaching and then he pulled back and now he has his disciples and his followers and he is saying to them, this is how they will know you belong to me. This is how they know that you are moving through the world the same way I move through the world. This is how your presence in the lives of those going forward will be as transformative and meaningful as mine has been. So then when we think about this passage this way, that Jesus is now inviting us into this this story of the goat and the sheep and and the sheep who, who cared for and who loved and and went to those who were in prison and fed those, and then the goats who were not, I think there's something else that we can, we can learn and we can look to. It's, it's not so much a judgment, but an invitation. An invitation to look at these two different ways of moving through the world. And even in that, then I get a little bit excited because then I see that Jesus is doing what Jesus has always done, been a good shepherd. You see, a good shepherd knows how to take care of the animals that has been entrusted to them. 
The good shepherd knows exactly what the sheep need versus what the goats need, knows how to identify their distinct ways of moving through the world. Like, goats and sheep actually have to be separated from each other. They cannot live together, um, and they cannot function well together. They have different ways of fighting. In fact, like, the goats, what they would do is they would get up on their hind legs, and they would, like, fight, like, on their hind legs, like, in this really creepy, like, scary way. It's like super dangerous that if they fought like a sheep who does like a head biting, like they have a head biting technique when they fight. So if a sheep who uses his head and a creepy goat uses their little paws, like that's dangerous, that's horrible. And a shepherd knows they cannot be together. A shepherd also knows that they eat differently, that they, that they, that they rely on different things for their nourishment. A good shepherd knows that they have different temperaments and personality styles. That the goat is strong-willed, and the goat desires to kind of do their own thing, and they're really isolated. They're, they're really okay with being separated from others. But sheep are not. Sheep need their community. Sheep need their shepherd. Sheep need to be cared for and guided. Actually, they desire that. They have something called a flocking instinct. So when Jesus is talking about the difference between the goats and the sheep, what he is saying is there are ways that you can move through this world where you can be headstrong and you can be individualistic and you can care about only what you want and you can get lost and be off on your own. And when you do that, you don't notice the needs of those around you. You have rejected or you may not even have a flocking instinct. But the sheep, The sheep lean into that collective community identity, that need for one another and that need for their shepherd. And that is what Jesus is saying is the distinct thing about his people, about his disciples, his best friends who reflect his love in the world, that they lean into that flocking instinct, that they lean into that desire to be for usness so that they can care for one another. Basically, what Jesus is inviting those who are listening to this parable to imagine is how do you want to move through the world? What kind of person do you want to be? Are you the kind of person who continues on my legacy of seeing and loving and caring and healing and meeting the needs of those that I have placed around you, or are you going to go off and do your own thing? Are you going to go the way of the sheep? Or the way of the goat. I think because of some of our evangelical upbringing, we are so excited or we kind of, we home in on like the judgment aspect of that scripture. And we really love to create boxes and us and themness. And that part of the scripture is what gets most of the attention when we read this. But, but the bulk of this passage is Jesus speaking and saying, there are felt needs going on within the community I've placed you in. Are you looking, are you seeing, or are you not? Are you seeing the people I've placed around you? The hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the vulnerable, the physically afflicted, the oppressed, and the poor, and what are you doing for them? The clear message is that God so intimately identifies with human beings that to care for one another, to care for another person, is to care for Jesus himself to care for God, God's self. But then to ignore the plight of another, to go the way of the goat, is as if you ignored Jesus himself. 
And that to me is more stirring than any sort of judgment of hell or destruction. Am I paying attention to Jesus or am I ignoring Jesus? That's my question for you. Are you paying attention or are you ignoring? There is a way that we can move through this world connected to God and each other, and that's the sheep way. So Jesus is offering this as an invitation for us to see. And the very first time that I recognized that seeing was, was inextricably linked to my discipleship of Jesus was when my husband and I were in New Orleans, and we met in New Orleans, and if I'm feeling a little sassy and I'm kind of like wanting to see what people say, I say, um, I met my husband during Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street. <laughs> and I just pause to see like what kind of girl they think I am. But really, we did meet in New Orleans, and we were heading out to Bourbon Street that night, but it's because we were doing street witnessing, street preaching, because we were there for a short-term mission trip at a small Bible college in New Orleans. And we fell in love with the city. And this passage from Matthew was one of the passages that invited us into this work of seeing the kids and seeing our neighbors and seeing the systems of oppression that surround them, that keep them in places of poverty and harm. Because when I went into this work, I came from a very like suburban, small town in Texas, and I thought if you are struggling financially in any sort of way, it's because you didn't, you don't have a great budget. And I thought that if you're getting, yeah, and I thought if you were getting into any kind of trouble, that you're maybe a little bit ignorant, or maybe you didn't have, you don't have a father in the home. And I just thought that if you ever found yourself in any sort of problems and you needed to kind of get back on your feet, all you had to do was pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it out on your own. Nobody else is going to come help you. You got yourself into that problem. But then when we got to New Orleans, my husband started working with gang-affiliated youth. He used to be in a gang, and so he had a heart for the kids at the community center who were connected to gangs. And one day he came home from the center and he said, um, babe, you make the absolute best fried chicken I've ever had. And if there is just one way you want to endear yourself to a black woman from the South, it's to tell her she makes the best fried chicken. So I'm like, yeah, thank you. It's like, do you, is that what you want for dinner tonight? Like meal planning, but meal planning with a compliment, so I'm going to do it, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking like Sunday. And I'm like, yes, the gospel bird. Yes, chicken on Sunday. We are doing this. And he said, okay, great. Um, there are some kids from the center that I'm going to invite. I'm like, sure, great, because I, I taught dance at the center, so kids from the center, broad, sure, whatever. So Sunday rolls around, and I'm, I'm like gathering all the things. It's Sunday morning, I'm about to, um, actually Saturday night, and I'm about to put the chicken in the buttermilk to put it in the fridge so they can, you know, marinate overnight, you know. And he comes in, and he says, okay, so here's the deal. And I, when he comes in and says, so here's the deal, I know my life is about to be completely rocked. And he says, um... So, and he lists the name of the kids who are coming, are going to come. And these were are, these are kids who were deeply involved with gangs, who were leaders within their, they called them sets of their gangs, who were, who were expelled from the center weeks ago for a fight. And we already knew that there were like little fights and there was, you know, one drive-by in our community because of this argument that was going on, mostly over drugs, mostly over territory, which is, tends to be the thing. And our apartment was actually involved in a drive-by from one of these gangs. Our bottom apartment received, had a uh, bullet go through it, and we were in the top apartment. So we were fine, but I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he said, yeah, yeah, no. So um, I told them to leave their guns in their car but they're going to come and we're going to talk this thing through over your chicken 
which is blessed by God. And I'm like, um, no. So we invite these kids over, and our little boy was about two at that time. And we get in, and these kids just start playing with my son on the floor with trucks. And they, like, are coming to the kitchen and, and, like, saying, oh, that smells good. Can I grab a piece? And I'm like, no, not yet. You got that hot sauce? Yes, I do. Like, they were, they were kids. They were, they were excited to have a meal cooked for them and a place to be. And they didn't really talk to each other that much until we sat at the table. And then my husband, being the facilitator he is, started asking them all these questions. And his whole thing was to help them see how, how similar they were, how they had how they, I, they both came to the place that they are in their gangs and in their life in and, and very similar ways and realized that like one kid really started selling drugs because there was no food in his house. And so he was able to get some money and then the people who brought him in promised to protect his sister. And there was just all that was so deeply relational and he, and he just kind of snowballed into the place he was. Another kid was bullied, and this gang offered him protection, and he felt really good and confident for the first time. And sitting at that table, I realized something, that this call to love our neighbor is this call to see our neighbor's humanity. It's our call to learn our neighbor's stories and to step in and offer some beautiful flourish, the next wonderful part, new chapter, that, that is a chapter of, of flourishing and goodness and hope for them in whatever way God invites us to. So God says, Jesus says, you know, I was homeless and you gave me a home. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And I think when we hear something like that, we think, well, God, I, I don't, I don't, that's not my life. I don't know people like that. I, I don't know someone who is in prison. Well, maybe you may know, not know somebody who's in prison, but do you know someone who is struggling with their mental health, for whom their very minds feel unsafe, that they are stuck and they can't be their full selves? Is there a way that you can step in and offer the gift of humanity and dignity and seeing them, walking alongside them, when they feel imprisoned by their mind. You're like, okay, well, maybe I, I, I don't know anyone who's hungry, like particularly hungry. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who are hungry, but, but I, I, don't, I don't know someone who is hungry. Maybe you're not looking. So my daughter and I had a conversation when she was in middle school. She came home one day, and this was mid-year, mid and she came home, and, and I was like, how was school? How was this? How was that? And I was like, how was lunch? Because usually she has some story about some, you know, intense or, like, girl drama conversation that came up at lunch, because that's when girl drama starts is middle school. And all your daughter wants when they're in middle school and they have girl drama is just a vent to you. So I'm like, what happened at lunch? What's, what's the tea? And she was like, yeah. Well, you know, so-and-so did this, but, you know, I was looking across, and I noticed, and she said a girl's name, and she said, um, and she wasn't eating, and, and this wasn't the first time she hasn't been eating, and so I, I just, I went over to her, and I was like, hey, um, do you want me to go get you something? There's still food, like, I can bring it to you, because she knew that she had extra credits on her lunch plan, and 
the girl said no, and she explained to my daughter that she wasn't eating because there wasn't, she had a specific dietary need and there wasn't anything offered by the school that met her dietary need. And so even though her parents had talked about their specific dietary restrictions, the school was not providing that for her. And so she was not able to eat. And, and so my daughter told me that. And she said, well, but I, I said, you know, let me talk to my mom. And what, what can I do? And I said, well, you know what you can do and what we could do is we can just send an email to the school and say like, hey, there is another family in the school that kind of knows what's going on. Is there something we can do to help? Like, I can leverage my relationship with the school and the fact that you have money on your account and you're a student in good standing. Let me see if I can help. And so I sent an email and I was like, hey, does anybody know what's going on? And I told, I told Trinity the next day, when you go to school, go to that friend and see if you two can go to the school counselor and say like, something's going on. Because if you're in there and they see your face and then they see my email the same day, they know something is on, somebody is watching. <laughs> and so she did. And they were able to kind of get more offerings for this little girl at school. Well, in the process of my daughter helping this girl get something at school during lunchtime to eat, she found out that her family were experiencing homelessness. And so that's one of the reasons why she wasn't bringing anything home from to school, because her family didn't have anything extra. So then my daughter says, well, then what can we do now? And I was like, well, we, it's really awkward to just walk up to somebody and say, here's a bunch of food because they didn't ask for it and we want to dignify them. And she was like, okay, okay. And I was like, why don't you go back to the school counselor and say, I am friends with so-and-so, and whenever she mentions like a favorite food or something that her family eats, I'm going to tell my mom and then my mom's going to send it. And then can you just like get it to her um, and just say like it came from the school or like a family in the school. And so for weeks, my daughter would like be this little like um, spy for goodness and be like, what is she like? And I would go and make sure and get the fruit snacks that I knew she could eat and all these things. And to this day, my daughter thinks back to that. And my daughter does this thing now that she doesn't realize there's a, there's a direct connection to. She, she says she feeds the community, which basically means she takes her allowance and she fills her locker up with a variety of non-perishable snacks and food. And then if anybody in the school needs anything, they come and find her and they, during, in between classes and she opens up her locker and lets them take whatever they need. So maybe we don't know someone that's hungry, but maybe that's because we're not noticing. We're not looking. We're not thinking that we are loving Jesus as we love those people. And maybe we can meet their needs for food and care in a distinct, unique way like leveraging our power and position and resources and love for the community. So this passage is an invitation, my friends. Are we going to be the kind of people that look and see and notice and step in? Are we, or are we going to be the kind of people that are individualistic and only care about our needs and, and not look at the needs of others? In short, are we going to love on Jesus are we going to ignore Jesus? The choice, Genesis, is yours. Endings are a place where life is remade. 
Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.